passage is a good um, precursor to the passage we will be studying today. If you have a Bible, please open with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to look at a single verse this morning, verse 7. And let me tell you that that is a daunting task to, to stop and to focus on a single verse of Scripture. And the title of the message today is the Christ-like duty of husbands. The Christ-like duty of husbands. And, and as you consider that in light of the passage we just read and what we'll see in, in 1 Peter 3, you can understand why there's only one verse to cover it because so much can be drawn from, from this well of verse 7 that that one verse will be plenty to fill our time this morning. So... With that, um, I want to read our passage, and then we need to ask the Lord's help and his blessing as we study Scripture today. Please stand with me as we give attention and honor to the reading of God's Word. Again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. This is Holy Scripture. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. And now I ask that you bow with me as we go before the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, your name is Holy. You are, as Isaiah saw in his prophecy, holy, holy, holy. For Lord, the heavens and the earth are full of your glory. The earth is your handiwork, declaring and displaying your majestic power for us, your people, to see. Lord, you have written and revealed your will for us in your word. You have given us instruction. You have given us that which is profitable for reproof and correction and training in righteousness. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are humbled and plowed up and eager and ready to respond. Lord, as we consider the text before us today, we understand that it is a great duty that you entrust to those to whom you call to imitate Christ and his love for the church as we are men and husbands who love our wives in the same manner. Lord, we understand this duty is so great that it requires not just one man striving to live these things out, but it requires a church body living together in fellowship and in unity and accountability as we seek to press one another onward to be more and more like Christ. Lord, we pray that you would write your word upon our hearts. Lord, as we think about the duties before us in the scripture today, we're reminded as Paul wrote that 
Really, this is but a picture of Christ and his great love for his bride, the church. So, Lord, may we see your instructions for us today, but may we also see Christ. May we have and get a glimpse of our Savior. May we understand more fully his love for us, his devotion to us, and the sacrifice that he gave on our behalf. Lord, would you take your word and use it to conform us to the image of Christ? Would you sanctify us in the truth? Lord, we pray that all that is said and done in the remainder of our time together today would bring honor and glory to your great name, for you and you alone are worthy. And Lord, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is our God to receive blessing and honor and glory and power and dominion forever and ever. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I recently heard um, Dr. Steve Lawson, who many of you are familiar with. He is one of the great titans of expository preaching in our day. I recently heard him say that younger preachers ought to preach longer text, and that as a preacher um, matures and grows older in the faith and in the work of preaching, then he can preach shorter and shorter texts because he has more experiential living and walking with the Lord to add to the text. And so it's not lost on me that many of you may see me as, as somewhat young. Many of you might be thinking, why is this guy going to preach one verse? Well, because that's what's before us in the scripture, and, and the duty that the Lord requires of men of God and living as husbands is so broad that this one verse really gives us so much. And we saw those 11 or 12 verses in Ephesians chapter 5 that we can also lean on and draw from as we consider the Christ-like duty of husbands. Now, you remember last time we considered the duty of wives to be holy and gentle and quiet, and yes, even submissive to their husbands. And really, last week and this week, they really go together because they come together to form what is a God-honoring, Christ-glorifying marriage. And it shows us that glorious picture of what we are to be as the church. That is, the bride of Christ serving our head, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself on our behalves so that we could be saved from our sins. He died on the cross so that he could wash us in his blood so we could come to him in faith and repentance and be given new life. That's what Christ did for the church. That is how a marriage is supposed to work, the husband giving himself for his wife, the wife submitting to and respecting her husband. That comes together to form the picture of Christ and his bride. So when we think about those two messages together, the submission of the wife and the headship of the husband, one thing to draw our attention to is, as we kind of launch into the text today is the idea that the one of, if not the greatest hindrances in our day to biblical submission of a wife is a husband who does not lead in a biblical way. Yes, wives are responsible to submit to their husbands as they do to the Lord. 
But husbands are required to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. Men must live righteously. They must lead humbly and authoritatively, and they must love sacrificially. One of the reasons that submission is so difficult is because men will hear that sentence and they will latch on to one phrase there that I must lead authoritatively. That's where you get what culture wrongly often sees, but sometimes rightly sees as, as this idea of to- toxic masculinity. Because men say, I need to lead authoritatively, and they miss the rest of the context of Scripture and its command to husbands. So that's what we want to see in the text is how we lead and love our wives well. We lead with humility and with authority, and what those must must be served by is a righteous and a holy life and a sacrificial love. Really, we could look back to Ephesians 5, verse 25, kind of for our purpose statement in our time together today. Paul wrote there, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's what we want to sketch out and understand today. But I look in a room, I see many women, many children, and even some who are not married. So I want you to also consider from this text that we can be reminded of the love and the sacrifice of Christ for you, his bride. So don't think just because you may not be a married man that this text does not apply to you because it applies to you gloriously. Because the picture that we're painting today is just but a foretaste and a shadow and a type of the love of Christ for his church. So as we look to the text, there's really three exhortations from Peter through this one verse that we want to look at and, and consider how they apply to husbands and how they apply to us as the bride of Christ. Firstly, we want to see the idea that Peter says here that the husband must know his wife. Know your wife. Peter says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. To live with really speaks of that close union of marriage. So, so it's not just a generic term of two people who are living under the same roof, but it's a husband and a wife who have become one flesh, who are joined together as one in Christ to live as husband and wife. And Peter says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with her in knowledge. It's the Greek word gnosis. Where, where we get the word knowledge and understanding. Peter says, seek and inquire ways that you can understand and know your wife more fully. Live in your homes in a way that you understand your wife better. So that's an application there in and of itself. Men, ask yourself the question, do I live with my wife in a way that I know her better, that I know her more fully, that I might love her better and love her more fully. Is that how you live in your homes? Now let's consider the example of Christ in this 
exhortation before we consider anything else. Think about Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 14. It says, The Lord knows our frame, and he is mindful that we are but dust. The Lord knows us. He knows us intimately. He, he knows our weakness. He knows our frailties. He knows our failures. He knows that we are like the dust of the air, that we have no strength. We have nothing that can sustain us. The Lord knows all things. He has all knowledge, and he knows our frame. He knows that we are weak and fragile. But we can go even beyond that when we think of the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Christ, of his bride. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Speaking of Christ, it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Christ had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted, in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Christ was made like us so he could lay down his life for us, so that he could know our temptations, and so that he could come to our aid, so that his spirit could come and help us in our time of need. So before we even think about how a husband ought to know his wife, consider how Christ knows you. He knows your temptations. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. Christ could not sin. He was perfect. His nature was pure righteousness. The temptation for sin was put before him, but Christ never sinned because he was perfect. He knows your temptations, and he knows the way of escape. He knows what it takes to resist temptation because he has walked in your shoes. He has walked the path of having Satan put before him all the desires of the flesh, all the lusts of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Christ knows all that, and he knows your temptation in that, and he will provide a way of escape. He knew all that so that he might love you more fully and more perfectly. Think about Philippians chapter 2, that, that glorious text where we see that Christ laid aside the privileges of deity and divinity. Jesus never ceased being God, but he somehow, in some way, laid aside those privileges. He took on flesh, he took on the form of a bondservant, and he learned obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that he might reconcile you to God. Christ became like us so he could reconcile us. He knew us. He knew our sufferings. He knows our frame. And he strengthens and empowers us so that we can resist temptation, so that we can do what is right, and we can glorify him. So that was the example of Christ. And so now in, in honor of keeping with the context of our, of our text, let's think about how that can apply to husbands. Matthew Henry gives us some help here. He says that this living in knowledge is not according to lust as brutes, 
It's not according to passion as devils, but it's according to knowledge as wise and sober men who know the word of God and who know their own duty. That is how you are to know your wife. We know that the word know can, can signify the intimacy of marriage, but Henry makes the important point here that that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about those desires uh, of your human flesh. It's talking about knowing her through the sobriety and the wisdom of your knowledge of the Lord. And what that points to is, I think, the first thing that husbands must understand is to know your wife, you must firstly know the Lord. You must be sanctified. You must be wise and full of knowledge of the truth. You must be sober-minded and not driven by the lusts and the desires of your flesh. Think about what Christ did. He washed and sanctified his bride. Husbands, you are to wash and to sanctify your bride, and you cannot wash and sanctify someone if you yourself are not washed and sanctified. And that doesn't mean that you hold back until you reach some point of maturity where you then say, oh, I'm mature enough now, I've been sanctified enough now that now I can invest in my wife. No. You wash and sanctify her by the power and the authority of the word. If you are in Christ, you are gifted with what you need to be able to build your wife up in Christ because you wash her as Christ did with the word. Proverbs 18 verse 15 says that the mind of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Okay, so, so we can kind of flip that around a little bit. The, the mind of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Do you seek, do you work to acquire knowledge of your wife? We broaden that out. Friends, do you seek and, and do you search and do you work to acquire knowledge of your fellow saints? Again, this doesn't have to apply only to husband and wife. Do you seek through fellowship and through investing your lives in others to understand them better, to know them more, so that you can be that instrument the Lord uses to work his word in their lives? Just as a godly saint seeks to know the Lord through his word, so must the godly husband and the godly saint seek to know the husband's wife or your fellow saint. So how do you do that? Very simply, but very pointedly. Again, we're talking to husbands, to, to men in, in a specific sense here. So how do you do that? It's through conversation. It's through the, the acquiring of knowledge. Deep conversations, I can tell you from experience, don't just happen. Our lives are busy. Our schedules are full. If you don't make time and make effort to grow in knowledge of others, you won't. So plan and purpose yourself for these things, and then you plan and purpose yourself for these things, and then you act. You actually use your, your mind, you use your mouth, you ask questions, and you learn. You give full and devoted attention. When you have those opportunities, don't waste them because they are precious. Ask questions Open your ears and listen. 
Now, I can tell you, again, from experience, that one thing that is common to most men, maybe every man, is the ability to be in a conversation without actually being in the conversation. You men are smiling because you know that it's true. You can be there, you can even ask a good question, and then you don't hear the response. And, and we kind of chuckle about that, but hear me to say that while that's natural, it's not helpful. And it's really even potentially sinful. Romans 12 talks about how we're to be devoted to one another in love. And I think we can clearly understand that it does not show devoted love to someone else to ask a question and then disengage your brain while they're responding. So men, may we seek and may we strive and labor not only to ask good questions, but to listen to those answers and take them to heart. We can do that with one another, and we can do that with our wives. This call to know your wife does not end with that knowledge. To know someone in this sense has an aim. It's to, to grow your love for her, to be able to cherish her more deeply because you see and understand what drives her. What makes her tick? She is created in the image of God at the very least, and hopefully, Lord willing, a fellow saint of Christ. And so why would you not want to know her more deeply and cherish her more fully? Again, to broaden this out, remember that this applies to the whole of the Christian life. And kind of flip the idea a little bit, kind of almost flip it on its head, and consider that we must seek the same knowledge of God. We seek to know Him so that we may be more devoted to Him. The Lord reveals Himself to us in His Word, so the way to know Him more is to let Him reveal Himself in His Word by studying the Scriptures. We communicate, we commune with the Lord in prayer. How much time do you spend communing with the Lord in prayer? How much time do you spend learning of God by reading his scripture? If you want to serve the Lord, if you want to love him more, if you want to live a life more devoted to the one who gave his life for you, there's but one way to do it. And it's to learn of him through his word and then to commune with him by taking that word, meditating on it, and praying and communicating with the Lord. Christ has been understanding of us. It just, it's a marvel to even think about that Christ knows us so intimately. He knows that sin that just always remains in your heart. You may repent of it, and then tomorrow, though yesterday was was genuine repentance. Today, like a dog returning to its vomit, you return back to that sin. Christ knows that, and yet he loves you. Yet he gave his life for you. But let's not stop there and glorify that sin. Let's remember that Christ gave his life to give you victory over that sin. He knows your frame. He knows how sinful you are and he gave his life not that you continue in that that his grace may abound 
but so that you have victory over sin because you have a new life. You are a new creation in Christ. Husbands, know your wives in the same way. Saints, know your fellow saints in the same way. Saints, know the Lord in the same way where you seek to know him more and more and more. Pressing forward in the text, the next exhortation we would come to from Peter is that the husband must also protect his wife. He must protect his wife. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Here it comes. As with someone weaker since she is a woman. As someone weaker since she is a woman. So we need to unpack this. We need to understand what Peter is and what he is not saying. Proper understanding of this really is kind of a key to, to biblical headship and biblical submission. So, so what is Peter saying here? He's saying that women are indeed weaker. Weaker is the opposite of strength in the Greek. So, so firstly, let's just make that plain and make that clear. Weaker is an accurate translation of what the original language said. So then we ask the question, what is, what is Peter getting at. If you'll turn back to Galatians chapter 3, I think we can get a little bit of an idea of what, what Peter is pointing here. Galatians chapter 3, I want to read from verse 26 and read through the end of that chapter. The apostle Paul there writes, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So what Paul tells us there is there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. There is no male nor female, if you are in Christ, you are an heir of Abraham, a child of the promise, you are a descendant, you are fully grafted into the family of the Lord. So there are different roles between men and women, between husband and wife, but we're all one in Christ. So then what is Peter saying? What does he say mean when he says that you're living with someone who is weaker? I think MacArthur gets it exactly right. He said it just means that women generally possess less physical strength than men. It's pretty simple. It's right on the page. Women possess less strength than men. That is by God's design. It's not always the case, but that is usually how the Lord has designed men and women. And so what we draw from that then is what are we to do? How are we to live with someone who is weaker? So we come to the idea of Peter's exhortation to protect your wives. Husbands are to be protectors. Christ is a protector of his people. He is described as a, as a shepherd who guards his sheep from wolves. Husbands are to be protectors to guard their wives from physical harm. I think we can press that even a little bit further to say that husbands should be both a physical protector and a physical provider. Again, that's in the Lord's design of men and women. 
The husband is to be the chief and primary worker outside the home. Women are to be good managers of their children in their own households, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Maybe that doesn't forbid women from working outside the home, but what it does show is the roles and the designs of the Lord that you as a husband, you as a man, are to be the chief provider and protector. So let me tell you what that means, men. That means that you need to be a tireless worker. Okay, You need to do whatever is necessary to provide for your family. And that might mean that you work three jobs at times. That might mean that you go to bed tired every single day. That might be that you wear yourself thin, that you stress and stretch yourself out. But if you're going to be a protector, you're going to be a provider. I think there's a sense, and again, this is not always the case, but there's a sense as we think about this that as a, as a husband and as a man, you should, you should be the first one up in the morning and the last one to bed in the evening because you have all these things to do to protect and to provide for your family. You need to carry out the physical duties in your home. You need to be a man. We, we talked about that some last couple of weeks in our morning Bible study. To be strong. To act like men. Do the physical duties of your home. Don't send your wife to do the things that you as a man should be doing. You be the man. You be strong. As Clark said earlier, be courageous. Protect and provide. And that doesn't mean your wife can't help you with anything because that's the beauty of the union of marriage is that it's two becoming one flesh. But husbands lead in those things. Lead out in those things. Now let me also tell you that that does not give you the right or the leeway or the freedom to brutishly assign to yourself only the manly duties of the home. You don't go tell your wife, I've cut the grass, I've fixed the car, I've maintained the house, and now I'm going to hit the recliner. That's so common on our day that, that husbands, they, they have their small, men in general have their small defined task, their manly duties, they do those, and then they call it quits for the day. Let me tell you, the most Christ-like thing that you can often do is to do all that hard work and then come in and find your wife as she is working uh, diligently in the home to wash clothes, to prepare food, to keep the house clean, to instruct the children. And you come in and you're exhausted. It's been a long day. You're tired and worn out and you don't necessarily feel like it. But you come in and the first words out of your mouth is, honey, how can I help? What can I do? And again, that, that's, that's something that should be seen in all of our lives, even outside the home. You see a fellow saint working tired and being diligent, go ask them how you can help. Sacrifice of yourself. That's how you invest in God's people often is by sacrificing of your time and your energy. So men, love your wife as Christ loved the church and give yourself up for her. Remember, Christ took on our form so that he could help us in that great weakness. Men, why don't you take on the duties sometimes of your wife so you can help her in her struggles, in her 
difficulties, in her weaknesses, so you can know how to better encourage her. You want to know one of the, one of the best ways you can learn how to encourage your wife? Many of us homeschool our children, and, and oftentimes that falls to the wife as a primary duty. Go spend, you don't have to spend long, spend a day or two homeschooling your children, and you'll understand the stress that a wife can be under to make sure the children are educated and then you can better know how to encourage her, to serve her, and to love her. Now, this has all been in the physical realm, and we really need to make a beeline to the spiritual. Because you are not leading and providing for and protecting your family if all you do is physical labor and physical work. Your family needs to see you as a man being a spiritual leader. You need to be a spiritual protector. You need to be a spiritual provider. You say, well, I, I don't know how to teach and explain the Bible. I'm not good at communicating the truths of Scripture. That doesn't matter. Pick the Bible up, open it, and read God's holy word to your family. Catechize your children. That's one thing that Steve Lawson mentioned in the videos we've been watching is one of the things he wishes he had done better is catechized his children. Men, be a spiritual leader for your children and for your wife and open a catechism with them. Look at the scripture. You know scriptures by heart. You know these, these passages that so plainly display the gospel. Teach those to your children. Teach them, show them how to memorize scripture, to take it and hide it in their heart. must lead your family both by example and in practice. By example and in practice. So many men, I think, here, especially in conservative evangelical circles, they hear the idea of headship, and they immediately think, you know, that means I'm the decision maker. You know, the buck stops here. I'm going to make the decisions. And, yeah, in a way, that's true. You are the decision maker. You are accountable to the Lord for the things that your family does and does not do. But you need to lead with humility by not being a brute, as Matthew Henry described. Don't be foolish and close-minded and of arrogant heart to think that you're the only one that has any wisdom in your home. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. So yes, you make the final decision, but let me tell you, your wife should be your chief counselor. Your wife knows the Lord's word. She has his spirit within him if she is a believer. So don't be a fool and think you're the only one who can make a decision. It's the most arrogant and hard-hearted thing you could possibly do. As the saints of the Lord, may we look to Christ for protection and for provision. Husbands are to lead, men are to lead in their home, but we lead as those who serve Christ. We lead as those who point our homes to the good shepherd. You fence your home, you guard and protect your home, and then you point your home to Christ, both in word and in deed. Those of you who are not men, those of you who are even not married but are men, you have a role to play in this. 
Lead within the church in godliness. Be an example. Hold your brothers and your sisters accountable to the things that we've studied in this passage. So husbands are to know their wives. They are to protect their wives. And thirdly, they are to honor their wives. You must honor your wife. Peter continues that you live in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and you show her honor. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that, that so that kind of ties it all together, so that your prayers will not be hindered. If we want to have marriages and homes that honor the Lord, we need to have women who submit to their husbands and thank the Lord. In this church, we do. Many churches, it's not the case that we experience here where wives submit to their husbands, but praise be to the Lord that the women in our church really model this well. And if we want to continue that and to press it even further, this is the point I believe that might be the most important, that you husbands show honor to your wives. You treat them as, as of great value and those who are worthy of preeminence. That's what honor means, to treat something with value and to give it preeminence, to give it first place, to prize your wife, to value her. This is a great charge to treat your wife as something that is choice and precious. Now, obviously, wives and women are not objects. But there's this sense where we can understand how, as men, we prize and honor those possessions which are so important to us. Think of how men often will prize and, and literally wash their vehicles because it's their prized possession. Whatever you do with your prized possessions should pale in comparison to how you prize and honor your wife. You should speak highly of her not because you want to put on a show, but because you actually think highly of her, because she is a fellow heir of the grace of God and of eternal life. This is where the rubber meets the road, brothers. This is where the rubber meets the road. One of the most unchristlike things you can do as a husband is to demand submission while you don't honor your wife so unbecoming it's so unchristlike and it's often a struggle for every man i don't know why that is i think it probably has to do with pride and arrogance and a lack of humility and just general fleshly nastiness but prize and honor your wife so that she can submit to you with joy so that she can honor and respect you because you are worthy of respecting that comes when you treat her with honor this command applies in public and in private it applies when you've had a good day and it applies when you've had a bad day probably especially when you've had a bad day it applies when you are sick or when you're in good health 
It applies when you're exhausted or when you are full of strength and energy. You know, you know those vows that m many take in a wedding ceremony to, to love and to cherish your wife in all circumstances? They're true vows and they honor the Lord when you carry them out. So you say, how do I do that? I'm going to give you a really, really simple application. How do I honor my wife? Go ask her if she feels honored and prized and valued. And if she says yes, continue doing what you're doing. Wives, if your husband is not prizing and honoring and valuing you, when he asks you that, tell him no. And if she tells you no, ask her, how can I do that better? And then you go and do it. This is not where, where we play tit for tat and where we keep a list of wrongs and rights and your wife says, well, I don't feel honored because you do this. And you say, yeah, but you did that. No, if your wife says, I don't feel honored and valued because of X, Y, and Z, brothers, stop doing X, Y, and Z. Love your wife, and if you need to do that to cherish her, do it. If you need to give something up to love and cherish your wife, give it up. Christ gave up everything for his church. He laid down his very life. You can lay down your hobbies you can lay down your Sunday afternoon naps. You can lay down whatever it is that your wife says she feels like you cherish over her. Do it, and do it with joy to the glory of God. And that's what Christ did for us. We were not honorable. We were not lovely. We were not washed. We were not pure. But he washed us with his blood. He laid down his life to clean us, to make us honorable so that we could be pure and blameless and presented to him as his bride on that last day. So husbands, even if your wife may not always be honorable, strive to help her become honorable. Highlight and encourage the good and positive things. And then gently and patiently, and this is very important, privately correct the things that need correcting. One of the worst things that a man can do, one of the worst things a wife can do for her husband or a husband for a wife is to give correction publicly. Now, there are times when it's necessary. Okay, there are times that's necessary, but you're a husband and wife. You have the privacy of your own home. Go and in the privacy of your home, offer gentle and patient correction. You should publicly praise and privately correct. Publicly praise and privately correct. Let me just tell you this, church, dear brothers and sisters. The church as a whole... And our church specifically needs more men who praise their wives. We need to lift up and to honor those among us who are godly women. So that's a broad statement, but a specific statement. Publicly praise your wife for the good that she does. Don't praise that which is unpraiseworthy or that which is dishonoring to the Lord publicly praise that which honors the Lord. 
And we get to the great summary of all this at the end of verse 7. Peter says, do all of these things. Know your wife, protect your wife, and honor your wife so that your prayers will not be hindered. Friends, what hinders the prayers of the saints? One thing, sin. Sin. So make that connection. Peter's saying if you don't do these things, you are sinning. You are breaking communion with the Lord. You are grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Honor and love and cherish and protect and provide for and know your wife so that your prayers will not be hindered, so that you may commune with the Lord, so that you may be sanctified, so that you may be a blessing to others. Again, nothing is uglier than a man abusing his headship, abusing his authority within the home while claiming to imitate Christ. There's nothing uglier than that, and there's nothing that the Lord, I think, really hates more. When he entrusts people with authority, he holds you to a high standard. So men, love your wives. Cherish them. Honor them. Love your wives as Christ loved the church when he gave himself up for the church. Those who are not married again, grow in Christ. Grow up. Be mature. Hold your brothers and sisters accountable to this biblical idea of headship and submission. That's the interesting thing is that Biblical submission is always required even with an unbelieving husband. And, and biblical headship is always required even with an unbelieving wife. But those things come together in this beautiful image of Christ in the church when husband and wife put in equal and biblical effort. We showcase the glory of Christ when we do that when we love one another and give our lives for and to one another. And again, may we always, as we think about this, consider the greatest example, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the, the glorious example of submission. He submitted himself to the will of his Father perfectly and wholly. And he is also the great example of the bridegroom, the pure head, the loving husband who gives himself for his bride. May we consider that example and submit ourselves to that Savior. May our homes display the glory of Christ. May we magnify him and showcase his goodness in the way that these relationships work together. And may we submit ourselves to Christ as our glorious head. May we submit to his word, to his instruction, and to the work of the Spirit to bring us to repentance, to turn from sin, and to turn unto righteousness. We're dead to sin and alive to righteousness by the work of Christ. Our lives must display that. What a glorious work he has done to save for himself people. May we then be a people who live to his praise and his honor and his glory. Let's pray.